get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. What's going on in camp? This is Justin Gibney, and you are listening to the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, I appreciate y'all tuning in. The election of 2020, we're going to get into that. But 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 let me first say this. Uh, I have a special guest with me, uh, someone who you never know could become a co-host. We'll, try, we'll have to talk about that. Uh, it's the pastor. He's a grassroots uh, political strategist. He's a West Side Chicago representer. He's the baddest brother above the Mason-Dixon line. Chris Butler, what's going on, brother man? How you doing? Salutations. I am doing pretty, pretty good. How are you? Pretty good considering, huh? Yeah, man. I, I just told somebody I'm uh, I'm doing a lot better than I feel like I should be. So I guess the Holy Spirit is carrying me on. Hey, well, hey, you can't complain about that. Now, many of you know that Chris Butler is uh, on the Ann Campaign's executive committee. I mean, he's been with the Ann Campaign almost from the beginning, been a huge part of what we do. And so I'm just glad to have him joining us today. Could be temporary, could be permanent. Uh, we'll just have to see again. Uh, but let me tell you what I appreciate about, appreciate about uh, Chris. Uh, he's one of those guys that's not trying to appease the cool kid activists on the left. He's not trying to keep the justice deficient conservatives uh, comfortable. Uh, he comes with and really helped create the Ann campaign's brand of unashamedly orthodox, compassionate truth telling. Uh, he really fits that role, man. And I'm excited to, to go back and forth with him. We don't always agree. Which is, which is a good thing, which is why I think I, I need a co-host, right? We need folks that not, are not always going to agree. Uh, but I think he brings what our supporters love about the movement and really what our, our detractors can't quite figure out, uh, that we are not quite conservative enough. We're not quite progressive enough, but we are just trying to be biblical. So welcome, Chris, man. Glad to have you. Any Anything you want to say to the people before we get going? Man, I'm just uh, really humbled and excited to to be on with you today, uh, and to to talk to the to the community of of true believers, man, um, in this movement. Uh, and before we jump in, I do want to say because people don't get a chance to hear it uh, enough from other people. Uh, but man, just uh, when you hear this, get on your social media and and show some love to Justin Gibney. Um, this this movement that that got started out of his heart uh, has been so much hope for so many of us, myself included. Um, so I just appreciate you, man. Um, and I'm encouraging everybody when you when you're listening to the podcast, uh, just jump on your social media and show some love to Justin. Wow, man, I, I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, well, hopefully, hopefully this honeymoon lasts for for a while. But 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 I think this next subject, this next topic, is going to tell us whether it, it does or not. Right? This is this is going to be a huge part of that. Now, Chris, hear me out now. Now, for the last couple of weeks, I've been telling folks to be peacemakers. Mm-hmm. I've been telling folks why Christians should not be scoffers, nor should we follow behind scoffers. That we should be humble, uh, that we should be uh, aspirational, especially when it comes to the election. But but, you know, just generally in our interactions with other people. Well, that advice uh, does not apply to this next issue. 
Uh, in this discussion, there's no room for civility. There's no room for compromise. I don't even really want to talk it out. I don't want to be respectful. I get really emotional about this first debate. And I'll be honest with you, Chris, I'm, I'm ready to lose friends. I'm ready to lose family members about this. Uh, this is a fighting words argument. And so I'm going to ask you the question first. Uh, and here it is. Very important. Now, I want you to pay attention. Don't don't get this wrong. Can you celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving is over? Meaning, can you start listening to Christmas songs, putting up Christmas trees, eating candy canes, etc., before Thanksgiving is over? And the reason I ask, Chris, is because my wife and I have some close friends uh, who will remain nameless and who might not be our friends for, for so much longer, <laughs> who have threatened to put up a Christmas tree before Thanksgiving. <sighs> They've even taunted me, Chris, by sending me a photo of a, a picture of them playing a Christmas, playing Christmas music in the car with with my with my goddaughter in the car. OK, <laughs> so I just want to set the stage. But I want you to answer this question honestly. What say you, Chris? Can can you celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving is over? And just so you know, this will impact whether or not you stay on this podcast. Well, you know, Justin, you just said uh, that, you know, my commitment is to being a truth teller. And celebrating Christmas, I think, is like part of celebrating Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving, when Thanksgiving gets here, you should already be in the mood of merriment and you can't get there unless you get Christmas going. If you came, uh, I'm at the church building right now in the uh, room right outside my door. Uh, we have the volunteers working to get the Christmas stuff up and we don't even have anybody really coming through the building, but it's just important to get it up, man. That's. Man, somebody cut this man's mic. You mean to tell me that you're in a church talking about you can celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving happens? Let, let me explain myself real quick. To me, anybody who's riding around in the car listening to This Christmas by Donny Hathaway, the Christmas song by Nat King Cole, or, you know, Let It Snow by Boys to Men before November 26th is no friend of mine. If, if you're if you're watching, if you're home watching Home Alone and the Christmas story, shout out to Ralphie uh, before you cut the turkey. I just think you're a bad human being. I, I mean, I'm committed to keeping better company than that, Chris. And I'm just disappointed that you would come on this show and, and just spread some stuff like that. And, and he, here's why it's a big deal to me. All right. I'm a Christmas baby. I, I was born on December 20th and I'm one of those kids who everybody wanted to give one present for two events, right? They want to give you one present for Christmas and your birthday. And so I'm now big on separating wrong. holidays. What's that? That's it. Now that is wrong. That's wrong. But I'm big on separate. That, that happens because people aren't orderly. So I'm big <laughs> on separating holidays. I'm big on separating events. Um, and I take this really seriously. You know what I'm saying? When, when you celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving, Chris, you dilute the holiday. You, you you won't even have enough Christmas cheer. There's only so much Christmas cheer to keep it at a certain level. You won't even be able to keep that level of Christmas cheer uh, when the celebration really comes. You're, you know, and even worse to me, 
you're showing a lack of discipline, a lack of respect for the order of things. And really, it, it confuses children. I think I think the children, if nothing else, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for the children, because the children de- deserve better. And I just understand how you're going to celebrate Christmas for 25 days after Halloween, then take a break on Thanksgiving on the 26th, then go back to celebrating Christmas the next day. That is disordered, man. It doesn't make any sense. I I think the nuance there, though, and and it's important that we do this for our children, help them get this nuance. Christmas is actually not just a holiday. Christmas is a season. And Thanksgiving is kind of part of the Christmas season. (laughs) It's one of the things that we do in the Christmas season is do Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is part of Christmas season? Yes. I, I'm going to need some um, some background research. I'm going to need some receipts or something for that. I, I've never heard that. <laughs> it's part of it. It is a season, right? It's, it's what, 25 days of Christmas? It does not include Thanksgiving. So <laughs> I want y'all out there to weigh in on this. This I, I'm sorry, man. I was excited when this first started. I don't know that this is going to work out. We'll, we'll have to see. But I want y'all out there to weigh in on can you celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving is over? I say hold your horses. I say show a little bit of self-control. Be a good Christian by allowing things to be orderly. But what do y'all have to say? We're going to go to a break and then we're going to get into the real politics. Y'all take care. And we are back. It is again, it's Justin Gibney and Chris Butler, and this is the Church Politics Podcast. Now, I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I wanted to start this next segment uh, after all that we've been through uh, by saying that we made it through the 2020 election. But depending on uh, who you ask and depending on where you live, that might not be the reality. So most of us have dealt with the fact, not all of us, but most of us have dealt with the fact that Biden has won this election, even though everything is not certified. Right. So Biden has 290 electoral votes, way more, you know, more than he needed. Trump has 214. So in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of of folks who are being reasonable about this conversation, the election is over. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, folks can't challenge and all that. We'll get in. We'll get into that a little later. But I do think it's a wrap. Now, when we look at this, this is a big deal. I mean, this was a huge election. I don't think, you know, it's the biggest election in history and all that and all that stuff. But in modern times, I think it is a very big election based on what's going on in our society and based on some of the things that that uh, our uh, our sitting president ha- has done. Uh, it, you know, the it, you know one of the good things about it, Chris, was that there was huge turnout. So people really got out. Uh, they made their voices heard. And at the end of the day, they wanted Joe Biden. Uh, but here's my short analysis, and then and then I'll turn it over to you, uh, Chris. When I look at when I look at everything, when I look at the numbers and what happened, it looks like the people clearly rejected Trump. Um, that 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 much is clear, right? I mean, you look at different states. There were states that he won, especially when you're talking about the Midwest. They voted for him the first time. They did not vote for him this time. So the people rejected Trump, but they did it in a way that didn't give the left the mandate that the left wanted. Or in other words, Democrats got the presidency, but it seems like the people said that they didn't want the Democrats to be able to implement their full agenda, right? They voted for Biden, but 
defund the police got rejected. Mm-hmm. They voted for Biden, but the new Green Deal gets rejected. Court packing gets rejected. And even folks like uh, Jim Clyburn and some you know, more uh, center Democrats in the House said they need to quit with all this uber progressive talk like that actually hurt people in their races. AOC came back and said, hey, you guys need to run better campaigns. I think it's a little bit of both. But certainly the people seem to be saying we'll take Biden because we need a change. But we we're not saying we just want you to do whatever you want to do. Something else that's worth mentioning, Chris, is this, too. Uh, Republicans won a lot of, you know, well, let me say this. Republicans won seats in the House, which was not expected. There was, you know, so a lot of people predicted they, they would lose seats in the House. They control more state legislature, legislature, legislatures and governor seats. And I'll get back to that in a second. And it looks like they're going to they're going to win the Senate. That was not what a lot of folks um, expected to see. And we know that, again, the polls were just not very accurate. And we might have to get to that in a, a later episode. So Republicans did very well outside of the presidency. And something I would ask people to pay particular attention to is when we talk about these state legislatures and these uh, the governor's house, uh, those gains are important because it's the state government that's going to have a lot of that has the control over reapportionment and the the districting process. So that's a huge win for Republicans when you uh, and I hope you filled out your census. But when you fill out your census, it has it has something to do with reapportionment and with districting. So the districts, your congressional districts, your state districts can change based on the population and based on who's around much of that. So so, for instance, in Georgia and I think in Florida and many other states, more states than 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 just those that will be controlled by Republicans. And so that is going to be something that uh, folks will be feeling the impact of for, you know, 10 plus years, because uh, that's a big deal. I just want to hear what you have to had to say. What what did you draw from this election, Chris? What What's your analysis? And 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 do you think uh, there's a mandate there or, or what do you think the, the message from the people was uh, through their vote? Yeah, I mean, I was actually I was surprised, but maybe pleasantly so, just at the fact that you saw the electorate demonstrate a capacity for nuance. Um, because like you said, you saw, uh, you know, kind of uh, Trump be rejected, but that didn't mean, apparently, uh, in the electorate that you had to take wholesale uh, everything that the that the Democratic Party was selling in the in the election, and and it's just uh, it's nice to see that that nuance take place. Uh, and and you talked about that well. Uh, the other piece that I, that I was um, interested in is the turnout. Um, you know the the mail in balloting helped people vote uh, at rates that they have never voted before. So in COVID nineteen, instead of seeing uh, participation depressed. We saw participation go up. And, and maybe when you really get into the real postmortem of this election, the the fatal mistake for the, the president may not have been really on on policy or politics, but just the blocking and tackling of campaigning. Right. Um, the, and I don't know this for sure, but based on the rhetoric, I, I questioned that the that the party. Uh, and his campaign in particular, do enough to take advantage of this new way of voting. You know, and, and I don't know that, but that's one thing that I'm really interested to see, because as divided as the country is, if if that didn't happen in the campaign, that might just be a, 
campaign strategy, blocking and tackling a run in a campaign mistake that was maybe made. But the turnout was great. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say on the turnout is is just the the fact that I, I think we see that the, the electorate has nuance. Um, and so you don't have to be afraid of participation, right? Like there is mm. real potential for persuasion, uh, for coalition building. Um, and so I think this election opens up a lot of opportunities uh, for those of us who really want to come into the the sphere with what you uh, call, Justin, moral imagination. Um, I see a lot of opportunities and possibilities uh, coming out of this. Man, you you raise a, a, a very interesting point. You know, it, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, that a lot of times Republicans are afraid of more people voting. And this is not everybody. I know there are plenty of Republicans who are all for it. But if you look at the laws in Florida that were just passed and all this stuff, there's this idea that as more diverse people get involved, that they're likely, you know, that it's not good for uh, Republicans. And that just didn't seem to be the case. I mean, when you look at Florida and when you look at these other places, minorities didn't really just vote in the way in the way that people expected them to. Uh, and so that's a very good point you make there, you know, folks might not need to be afraid of expanding because people aren't maybe as predictable as, as we thought they were. Um, uh, you, the Democrats often talk about demographics as destiny. And when demographics shift and we've been hearing this for years and years and years, when demographics shift, it's always um, automatically almost going to give them the power. That mm-hmm. might not be the case. Uh, and so when you talk about a realignment, when you talk about people voting differently than you expected, the game is a little bit different than I think a lot of people assumed it to be. Now, this was a, an odd election. I mean, if you look again, bringing up Florida, our neighbors uh, uh, down south, at least for Georgians uh, in Florida, they overwhelmingly voted for Trump and, and um, uh, Cubans and others, uh, other Latinos uh, were, were there uh, and they, they voted for Trump uh, more than they did last time. But at the same time, Chris, they approved raising the minimum wage to $15. That d- those two things don't seem to go together. Right. Or you can go out to California where they voted for for Biden, but they also voted down referendums on affirmative action and rent control. So, man, things really could be re- realigning. And, and as you mentioned, there was a nuance with which people voted that to me shows a huge change um, when you look in. And we'll talk about this later. But in states like Georgia and others, you know, you vote for. Biden, but then down ballot, you're voting back for Republicans and things of that nature. And you're voting for a minimum wage, but then voting for, who you know, the conservative. These are these these are interesting things. And I think you and I have kind of hope for some type of realignment. Do you see this as as uh, proof that it, it could be coming? I, I think so, because even, even when you dig down into some of the races that were lost, right, um, the, the biggest one, uh, I look at John James in Michigan, uh, who uh, is probably narrowly going to lose that uh, Senate seat. But look at how close he comes to winning that seat. Uh, and, and without really, I don't think, a, a real strategy to, to, in a focused way, bring a lot of diverse voters into the coalition. But just the fact that you had an African-American man running on a Republican ticket, it, it gave him a real shot. And I'm looking at uh, a lot of House races right here in Chicago. Now, no Republican won House seats uh, coming out of Chicago, but you did see Republicans, most of whom 
nobody even knows these people, uh, but you see them overperforming what you have seen Republicans do and what you would anticipate that Republicans would do uh, in a, a blue city like Chicago. So when, when you look at this, I think you do see a desire uh, in the electorate for, um, if not realignment, certainly nuance uh, and, a, and a new way of looking at things. Um, and so I, I think that that just represents opportunity. Does it mean that something's going to happen? Uh, I, I don't think it happens by itself. Folks have got to work to make it happen. But I certainly see the opportunity. Yeah. And you mentioned John James. I mean, this is a a, 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 a black man running as a Republican who did better than Trump did. Right. So he ended up losing narrowly but did a lot better than, than Trump did in that race. And so I, I'm with you, man, that that says something and we should all be kind of keeping our eyes open. Let's go to another break and then we will talk about President Trump's response and, and, and what, you, what we should take from that response. We'll be right back. And we are back with the Church Politics Podcast. As I said before we hit the break, uh, we want to talk about President Trump's response. Um, and I think most of us who were staying up late uh, on Tuesday uh, of election night, uh, we saw Trump come out and basically say that he had already won, um, to which some other folks, including Republicans, were like, no, you didn't already win. Um, then he kind of went to their, you know, they they were cheating me and that there's this huge conspiracy about cheating. He's actually throwing out all kinds of conspiracies about being cheated. But it's just I, I mean, you know, we hear these conversations about election fraud. We don't really get a whole lot of sub substantive ev evidence about it. But my question is this, if the Democrats were cheating and they cheated enough to change uh, the national election, why didn't they cheat enough to win the Senate, too? <laughs> Why would there be, you know, such a big difference there? You would think they would want to take that uh, because they'd want to be able to implement uh, their platform. Uh, but we see that folks like uh, Senator Ben Sass congratulated Biden on his win. Eric Erickson, the conservative talk show host, is calling conservatives out on these conspiracy theories and basically telling them they need to go get over it and move on, that there's nothing here to see. I know that the lieutenant governor in Georgia uh, says that there's no evidence of fraud. Uh, the Georgia secretary of state uh, was asked to resign. And he's he's a Republican, by the way. But he was asked to resign by uh, the two the two Republican Senate candidates here. Uh, and he told him, no, uh, obviously, they're still doing the bidding of the president. But he said, no, the people of Georgia put me in this place and I will not leave until they vote me out. Uh, and he's saying that the process was clean. We even see uh, Israel Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu congratulating Biden. So this thing seems to be coming to an end, uh, whether some folks would like it or not. Uh, I think we should ex expect a fight. We see folks getting fired from the, you know, from uh, uh, different places in the administration. And so it's kind of getting ugly. W what's your take on the response from the president and just the, the GOP in general? I mean, I think it's unfortunate. Um, you know, I, again, I always look at what the campaign uh, is doing. You know, if you are looking at one state or two 
with, you know, a few thousand votes separating candidates, um, then you're talking legitimate. Let's look at this again. Um, and and I, I think that everybody knew that. Well, maybe everybody didn't know, but uh, you know, the, if the election is going to be closed, that's what you want to see if you're going to go to litigation. But when you're looking at multiple states and you know, thirty thousand, forty thousand votes, um, you know, it, it would it would be surprising if you could get all those votes made up in a recount. Um, and if you're suggesting that people who voted by mail just shouldn't have their votes counted, then that's that's not acceptable. You know, I, I think about Chuck Colson's testimony. You know, one of the things that helped Chuck Colson, he said, really, you know, begin to consider the the gospel. Right, is the fact of uh, you know being part of the Watergate scandal and knowing that these were like the smartest people in the world, and they could not keep it together, you know, and that suggested to him that if Jesus' testimony was a scandal, it would have come out. Um, And I I think I see a similar type of thing uh, when you talk about, you know, uh, cheating in the election. That would be, I mean, just a massive, massive scandal to coordinate all these different election jurisdictions. And, you know, it's, it's just not very likely. Um, and and I, I would say that for the for the sake of of the, the country, really, you know, I, I would like to see the, the president transition in an orderly way. Um, and I, I, I know a lot of folks might not want to hear me say that, but that's just what I think uh, would be best for the country right now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's time for folks to move on. And I I believe it looks like to me, because even when McConnell addressed it, he didn't give any credence to 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 kind of uh, uh, the allegations that the president and some other folks have put down. He just said, hey, he's within his rights to do a recall. And he is. I mean, not a recall, a recount and recounts happen all the time. Go ahead and do the investigation. And that way, hopefully we can we can settle all of this. But it doesn't look like the Senate is going to be with. Most of the Senate uh, Republicans are going to be with the president. So hopefully we can we can move forward on this. And, and I'm with you uh, unless you 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 can actually prove voter fraud, unless you have receipts and, you know, you can you can make it very clear or or, or the same thing with even voter suppression to the point of a national it affects in a national election or even a state election. Then you just have to take your your, your L and go home. But what I can't allow to happen and I need to kind of call out is it is funny to see Democrats acting like they're so above conspiracy theory. Right. I mean, four years ago, there was a lot of of conspiracy theory out there. And while I think we can say that Russia did try to sway our opinions, many people were acting like Russia actually changed the results. And I know people up until the the last few months who who were kind of leaning on that kind of explanation. And so I know, I mean, if we want to talk about it, there are Democrats who still haven't accepted the results of elections, even though they can't say for sure that they were uh, cheated out of it or have proof of that. So I don't know that anybody's above some of those theories. Let's be a little gracious and give people time to get over it, but they do need to, to get over it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think, Justin, that this is one of those opportunities that we really see right here, um, because if you thought that coming out of 2016, I think the 2020 results, uh, as close as the election was, uh, should help you accept 2016, uh, that it, it wasn't, you know, uh, uh, some kind of strange uh, anomaly 
uh, brought on by Russian uh, interference. That's not to say that they didn't interfere, but this is a, a very narrowly divided country right now. Um, and so there's an opportunity for, for everybody to just level set at that fact uh, and, and let's start searching for uh, a much better future. That's right. And, and, and to be very clear, because I don't, I, you know, some leaders and even p- people in the press weren't clear, the interference was not changing the result of, of the of the election. Right. So even the Russian and there's been nothing proven that they actually changed the result. It, it's that they improperly kind of tried to swayed or, you know, kind of fraudulently put things out there that would persuade people. But they did not change the results of the election. And I, I know a lot of folks on the left who still don't want to admit that. And, and it just feels like people don't want to deal with the reality of losing. And we all need to deal with that reality, move on and, and do what we can to, to make things better. But, Chris, let's go ahead without a break. Let's go ahead and jump into what's going on in Georgia, because where I live right now, my hometown, my home state, I should say, it's going to be the center of the political universe for the next what two months. Um, uh, I was so happy that I was thinking I was not going to have to see these political ads. I mean, I knew there would be at least one runoff, but I didn't know the situation would be what it is now where Georgia will really decide, uh, you know, where the power is in Washington, uh, whether the the Republicans will be able to veto whatever is coming from the Democrats or if the Democrats will have the House, the the White House, the House and the Senate. Uh, and that's going to come down to what's going on in Georgia. Um, you heard a lot of folks saying and this was a big deal that Biden won Georgia. I mean, that's that's no small thing. A Democrat had not won Georgia since Bill Clinton. So it's been years and years and years since that happened. Now, Biden's victory came with a lot of talk of Georgia being a blue state now. And and I want to hear what you think about this, Chris, but I think that's premature, especially if you look at the numbers more closely. Um, Again, as we talked about uh, earlier, voters did reject Trump, but the two Senate candidates, uh, Warnock and Ossoff, didn't keep all of Biden's votes. They got a lot less votes than Biden did. Ossoff, for instance, he lost to the Republican David Perdue by almost 100,000 votes. Uh, if you look at War- Warnock, who was in a different situation, it was a jungle primary and there were several different candidates there. But it was clear that there was about three who were viable. Warnock only got about one third of the vote uh, without any other big name Democrat being in that race. Now, I would have thought that he should have gotten at least a little closer to 40 percent or above 40 percent. Um, and so that says something. I think it says that the, the Democrats are going to have an uphill battle in Georgia. Um, you know, part of the problem is Republicans really do usually do better in runoffs in Georgia. And I think the other thing is, and you may be interested in this conversation as well, Chris, um, if Warnock and Ossoff are persuaded by national donors to run a generic national progressive campaign like they did up until now, I don't think they have much of a chance. I mean, if they just want to run on the Democratic platform g- generically, that puts them in a bad space. So so, so my two questions are this. Um, is, do you think Georgia's blue based on the, the, the a deeper look at the numbers? And what kind of campaign do you think these guys should run and will run? I don't think Georgia's blue. Just because if, if you look at the uh, the Ossoff election, uh, that race rather didn't get elected. Uh, there's a there's a libertarian in that race, I believe. And if you give those libertarian votes to the Republican, you know that's a, a victory. So that race 
wasn't blue. Uh, and like you said, there's nothing in the numbers for Warnock that suggests that anybody's just, you know, deeply, deeply in love with him. Uh, and when it comes to the campaign, not only is it is it going to be a misstep, uh, I think if they run generic national campaigns, uh, because I, I think that politics is so local, especially in a, in a runoff situation like this, where Georgians, I think, will feel empowered. You don't want to do that. But like you said, they've already done that up to uh, up to this point. And is it is it going to be possible to to run all the way back away from, you know, all that long time of campaigning in these uh, in these few months? But like you said, George is going to be the real center of the of the political universe. And you never know what's going to happen. but like you, when I look at the numbers, I think it's got to be advantage for the Republican. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Any, anything can happen. Uh, stranger things have happened, but it's it's going to be uh, rough going. And, and I've, I've talked about this before, man. I, I think especially as someone who is a pastor, um, you know, it, it's a really bad look, in my opinion, for Warnock to just go along with that kind of uh, national uh, Democrat narrative. Uh, whether it be abortion, whether it be the Equality Act or any of these things. Uh, I have trouble understanding how a Christian clergyman can just endorse the Democrats' cultural agenda wholesale with no conditions and no distinctions. Hopefully he'll have an opportunity to do that uh, coming up. But if not, I think it's going to be a hard run, but anything can happen. I know he's been running very hard. I think he'll he'll be able to consolidate the Democrats uh, around him. There will not be a shortage of money coming coming through Georgia. Right. So I know a lot of my friends who are still in the uh, the strategy business will, will be eating good uh, for Christmas. Uh, but it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one, folks. So it's it's worth watching. Uh, the other thing that folks have to think about too is, especially for someone like Warnock, you know, there were two viable Republicans in his race, and so they had to go back and forth with each other because they knew there was only going to be one Republican in the runoff. He didn't take a lot of shots. I think you can expect that he's going to take a lot of shots uh, in, in this election. Uh, and so it, it, it should be, I mean, in this uh, runoff. And so it should be interesting. Anything anything else on that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to say on that fact of, of uh, we're not taking a lot of shots. Um, you know, the I don't know all of his public statements from the past, but just looking a little bit into his, you know, kind of trajectory and uh, public leadership and ministry. Um, you see in this election, his ideas evolving rather quickly. Um, and, and so I think that that is a, you know, some, something that, that might be a, a challenge and something to watch. But just as a, as a lover of the sport, um, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting time uh, in the state of Georgia. I agree. Well, Chris, uh, that'll do it. We we didn't start this episode off very well, and you know it could, as I told you before, impact uh, how 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 long you stay here. But all jokes aside, man, we, we this 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 uh, episode got better uh, ongoing. Man, I'm glad to have you here. And is there anything that you just like to shout out to the uh, to the people? Man, just uh, stay the course. I said it. Uh, a few times in in this episode, but it's the thing that's really in my heart. And I I pray that uh, folks in the and campaign community are really feeling that this is a a great opportunity 
uh, for folks who really want to see things uh, change and get better in our civics and our politics. So there's a lot of work to do, um, but the opportunity is there. Good stuff. You know, I got to mess with you, but uh, definitely appreciate you being on here. And Camp, uh, we have, uh, for everybody listening, you know, as I told you guys before, that we have created a Patreon. Uh, all this content, we love giving it to you, but it is not for free. It takes a lot of time. Uh, and we would love for you to be one of our supporters, not just a, a listener, but actually a supporter of the movement. So hit us on that Patreon. It's uh, it's under Church Politics. And we would greatly appreciate that, man. It doesn't have to be a lot. It could be a little, but it will go a long way. And we're trying to get this out to as many people as possible. We've really grown and we haven't done any marketing or anything like that. So give if you can. If you can't give, try to put at least five people from your church or from your you know, little groups you're in or at your school on the Church Politics Podcast. I think they'll enjoy it. But as usual, Ann Kemp, uh, there is a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There is a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ and camp. Until next time, we'll holler at you. Came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, yeah. I'm scolding the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a face.